On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, and in this episode of the show, we're going to get you up to speed with all the news around Australian cricket with the build-up to the World Cup beginning with a training camp in Brisbane. And joining me on the show is a man who's been on the scene in Brisbane, Chief Cricket Writer for the Courier-Mail in Brisbane, Robert Craddock. Hi, Crash. How are you? Hi, Menace. Yes, it's been interesting the last week up in Brizzy. Uh, you know, just the, the band is back together, Warner and Smith, and uh, the decks are cleared. Of course, everything always starts out very positively, and then the, the strain and the pressures hit, don't they? Absolutely. And Look, I want to get all um, the news from up there, but I just want to start with something a bit different. In Sydney at the moment, there's a, there's a lot of news surrounding a rugby union player called Israel Folau, and uh, he's going through a hearing at the moment to do with the social media post he made. I know you know all about it, uh, but for the listeners out there, I'm just curious, could the findings of this hearing to determine whether Falau continues to play rugby for Australia affect other sports and the way they deal with this sh- social media space? Well, uh, potentially it could, Menas, as far as making player contract clauses more specific to, 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 to specify that you cannot have any religious, you know, sort of taunting or segregation in, in any way. Now, that's, uh, it's such an individual case for Lau. I mean, cricket has really known nothing like it. Neither has, has rugby league or to, to any extent. So, but look, it, it just creates a, a, a general awareness to, to get your protocols right, get your contracts right, and, and and but you know we're preaching inclusion, aren't we? So it, on one hand, the flower case is terribly you know offensive and, and non-inclusive to to gay people because of course he quoted a chapter from the Bible saying gays would go to hell. On the other hand, Flau argues that. Hang on, you're supposed to be inclusive. I'm not allowed to have religious views, so it's terribly complex. Yeah, we saw with what happened with James Faulkner last week where he had the post about, well, a joking post about him potentially being in a same-sex relationship. But we, we saw that cricketers who post things can get a lot of publicity, so they have to tread very carefully. Yeah, it's it's a really good point, and, and that's perhaps the bigger issue, man, is that just being careful what you put out there. I mean, James Faulkner um, has uh, clearly said it was not a not a joke uh, of any sort, his post, but uh, it was different. And if you put it up, you probably would expect people to assume that he was in a same-sex relationship. So it was a, it was a, a real clear message to, to people, be careful of, of what you put up there because social media sometimes doesn't have nuance to it. It's just bare and bold facts. And as much as you can slip in the odd emoji, you know, it's open to interpretation. It's normally short, sharp and specific and lacks any great explanation. So 
I, I look up here in Brisbane, I heard cricketers talk about it, how you, uh, in the wake of the Faulkner affair, you've just got to be so careful. Yeah, it's changed a bit, I think, from when you started covering cricket to now, Crash. I mean, players having that sort of direct access to getting their message out, it's a far cry from when you started and the players were almost, you know, hidden away a little bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, man, as I remember, uh, you know, even further back to me, Alan Shield tells me stories of going on tours of England where players weren't allowed to talk to the media. So they'd get quotes, like you'd have quotes like, David Hook's rated in his best century. He told friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, like, that, that, they were the, the things in place. But only yesterday, man, is it Alan Borderfield, I was thinking how much it had changed when I watched Smith and Warner go out to bat and there was a row of journos, probably about four or five of them, filming it and then tweeting it. So... Uh, in the world of cyberspace, the, field, the, the match was not being live-streamed anywhere, but you could see that Smith and Warner on Twitter, like eight seconds after they came through the gates, people were tweeting. So it was extraordinary, really. Yes, and I think I'll be having Sam Landsberger on later in the podcast, who was one of those people filming the, the moments. So tell me, Crash, what's the atmosphere like up there around the Australian World Cup team? Well, look... The most significant thing by far that has happened is perhaps, and this stretches longer term than the World Cup, was the fine ovation that Steve Smith got out, that greeted Steve Smith when he walked through the gates yesterday. Quite a few people in the grandstand stood up to applaud him. There was a real sort of, Smith, hey, you know, here he goes, a real sort of, welcome back, son, uh, we forgive you. Now, Manus, that's terribly significant because Cricket Australia is monitoring public reaction to Steve Smith's return over the next year before his one-year captaincy ban expires. Okay, he's now back as a player, but he's not another year to serve as a captain, the captaincy ban. And if the if the reaction is favourable, he's every chance of captaining Australia again. If he gets jeered every time he walks out to bat, he has zero chance. It just will not happen. They would not appoint him, reappoint him as captain. So... Look, it was only 1,200 people, Manners, but it was a, a, a decent enough size sample to show that, you know, maybe there is life for Steve Smith as an Australian captain. And if that's the feeling of the... Uh, with Warner, it was definitely more tempered. No question about that. No question. But nor was it anti-Warner. You know, it was, it was mild, you know. But uh, but the Smith the Smith's reaction was terribly significant. What have you made of Smith's demeanour since... He's been around the camp. Have you noticed any subtle changes in what you saw when he was the captain of Australia summer before last? Only uh, in the field far more subdued. Like, he's a veritable ball of animation, isn't he, when he's captain? Um, no question about that. Uh, you know, there's, he, he just he's Mr. Mr. Hyper-reflex, isn't he? Arms going everywhere and spitting into his hands and rubbing them and everything. There's still a bit of hand spitting going on, but far more subdued at second slip than uh, with Aaron Finch running the team. You can read Warner like a book in this instance. Warner thrives in adversity. You know, if you want to get Warner going, say, mate, you're finished. You know, you, you're, you're, uh, you, you're done and, and fire him up. He needs a cause. He needs a crusade. It fires him up. It gets him up. So he, he's, he's bristling at the moment. He's ready to go. He's batting well. Smith, uh, completely different study, man, is because he fell so far. You know, he was knocking on Bradman's door and suddenly he's spending a year in solitary confinement. He's never had to deal with controversy throughout his career. 
So it was truly and utterly chastening for him. So I don't know what's going on inside his head, but you know it'll be interesting to see how he returns. Can he be the player he was, the man he was? You know, he has to change. How could he not change? Yeah, I um, had Hazelwood on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he was saying that Smith is the sort of player that needs to hit a lot of balls. So yep. how, how was his form looking? I mean, we've seen Warner in sterling form in the IPL, but Smith's been a bit slower to get back to his best. How's he looking? Yeah, good question. Fair point. Uh, less impressive than Warner. Uh, I watched a fast replay of every shot Smith played in the Nets on a Cricket Australia website. And look, there was a lot of uh, snicks and nicks and half hits in there. You know, he he's an eye player. And, and eye players, when they get their eye in, they, they look out. But it can take a while to get their eye in. So, yeah, uh, he's certainly not in peak form at the moment for mine. And it may take a while. But, you know, it hasn't counted for a lot yet. We haven't seen the heavy duty 50 over innings have we you know like we hasn't been asked to go in against England in a World Cup game at 2 for 20 chasing 260 that's when I want to mark him not in an IPL game not in the Nets not in the trial and you know the form surge he put together men is three years in a row averaging more than 70 in test cricket was something we never thought we'd ever see again and we may never see it again so uh, I'm interested to see. Can he reach those stratospheric heights again? I, I would be surprised. But look, he still he should be in the prime of his career age-wise. Yeah, Smith is a big game player, isn't he? He's done that in test series. He also was, I think, Australia's top run scorer in the last World Cup. So he, he's someone that lifts on the big stage. What about David Warner batting at three in the first practice game? Should we read anything to that? Is Langer and the Brains Trust looking at restructuring the order with Warner at three, or was it just the first up game? Well, they sent a, sent a little a message, you know, or, or it was one of the hierarchy said, don't read anything into it. And in a way, I think, Menas. That allows us to read something into it. If they're saying, no, 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 that's just a random batting order, well, that's them saying that Warner won't just walk into the opening spot. The Kawaja and Finch are done quite nicely, and it's sort of up to him to elbow his way back to the top of the order. For mine, it's Warner in first, Kawaja in three. I just think, you know, it's where Warner bats best. He's, uh, you know, he's a powerhouse. He's a figure of intimidation, of domination. You want him in there as soon as possible. But uh, I quite like the way they haven't just given it to them. Said, mate, no, you've been out for a year. We've done all right, mate. You've just got to, you can't walk in. But I, I still recommend it if we could throw forward to the pressurised World Cup semi-finals, and you looked at Australia's batting list, I've got D Warner in at opener. I've just got a feeling he'll be back there with A Finch. Yeah, I agree. And I think Kawaja could slot in nicely at three, does it, in the test side. So it's not a huge difference. Uh, while the players were banned over the last year, you know, Bancroft and Smith made some not insignificant missteps with some of their, their press and interviews. But David Warner was very quiet and measured throughout his whole ban. I've heard you talk about the influence of Warner's new manager on him, James Erskine, who's been around with cricket since the 90s. Uh, what do you think his influence on Warner's been? Yeah, well, well you've got to remember that James Erskine's a guy who's managed at times, dealt with Muhammad Ali and, uh, you know, Nick Faldo, the golfer, Michael Parkinson he was very close to. And, and so 
he's got a pretty good feel of things. But the big thing for me was he doesn't need David Warner's business. Like he's independently wealthy. He, uh, but he knew Candace through the Iron Woman scene. And, and, you know, he, he was just pretty upfront dealing with Warner straight away. He said, oh, I wouldn't say a word. Just, he gave him about three or four key pieces of advice. Like, don't say a word publicly. Just watch your step on the field. Don't go gobbing off of blokes. And, and, you know, be careful how you look around Sydney. You know, like, you know, driving the flash cars. It's not a great look when Joe Blow's out there earning 42 grand a year. So, you know, I think that was the advice Warner probably needed to hear. And he... he James Erskine could be a good manager for Warner at the right time. Just just telling him things he doesn't particularly want to hear. But you're quite right. No public statement from Warner could have enhanced his cause because all people want to know is the real story and he's not going to tell it. So the more he ducks and dives, the worse he would have looked. Completely true point, man, is what you said. <laughs> and he's also got that little story in his back pocket for whenever he decides to maybe pull it out. Well, it's a, it's a you know it's a tri- amazingly intimidatory thing to have. He knows he and he alone knows the full ball tampering story. He knows who knew. He knows if anyone has lied about their knowledge of knowing. And you know, <laughs> I don't think it'll ever really come out. Uh, I really do because I think before he sees it or prints it or writes it, there'll always be someone close enough to him to say, "Don't do it," because. It's not worth blowing up the building. I mean, what's he need? He gets, someone said, oh, he's been offered a big six-figure sum. Yeah, but he's probably worth $20 million. You know, it's just not worth it. No, not at all. All right, so uh, before I let you go, Crash, I just want to get your thoughts on the, the international schedule that has been announced for next season in Australia. There's some really differences to the schedule than we're used to. They're, they're playing a T20 game on Melbourne Cup night, and then they finish the season in the middle of March, as the the football codes are taking over with a three-match ODI series against New Zealand. So, I mean, let's start with the Melbourne Cup game. That's a that's a new one, isn't it, to play a T20 fixture on Melbourne Cup Day? Yeah, but don't mind it. Public holiday in Melbourne, you know, it's a night when a lot of people are probably, uh, you know, in the mood for, for something a bit different. And so it's worth a try. Don't mind that. But at the other end of the season, let's just call this for what it is, men, is the three one-day games against New Zealand in March represent an abject uh, failure, unfortunately, for Creed Australia's negotiation abilities. Of course, the Australian team was sucked out of their own summer and drawn to India by India in January, and that meant New Zealand had to come in March to take on... Only one, uh, a t- there's only one certainty about taking on the football codes in March. You lose. And if it's round two of the NRL and round one of the AFL, they don't care about cricket at that time of the year. Like even February is a stretch for cricket, I've always felt. The last week of the Australian Open, any cricket after that for me struggles in late January. So they've got to get better at dealing with India. And you can say, hey, it's not fair. Nothing in life, a lot of things in life aren't fair. You know, this is a Fox Sports paid huge money for the rights to the 50-over cricket. And I'll declare my my interest here. I work for Fox Sports. But even if I didn't, I'd say, gee, fancy paying all that money and end up with a 50-over with series in March. Unbelievable. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I just want to go to the root of when we agreed to go into India because I sort of remember maybe two or three years ago we did a deal with India to play them every year for the next certain number of years. So obviously 
uh, you know, Kevin Roberts and his team at Cricket Australia have, have inherited this deal that was already done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard it slightly differently to that because uh, I heard that the, that the deal was left on the table and they were going to negotiate it. So programs change and not hopefully common sense normally wins. But on this day, time it didn't. And one point I can say is that James Sutherland, the former chief executive, uh, you know, he had his foibles, no question about that. But he had a certain way about dealing with India. You've just got to be careful how you deal with them. And sometimes you've just got to nuance is the key word and subtlety. They're the key words. Just India was kept under the thumb by Australia for decades. And Australia and England ruled the world as if it was their own private fiefdom in cricket. India have never forgotten and they've never forgiven. And so they get any chance they get to get square, they do it. So it's tough. It's really tough. You know, India generate 81 cents out of every dollar in cricket. Money brings power. As Bob Dylan once said, Menes, money doesn't talk. It swears, and in cricket, it swears its head off. <laughs> exactly right. I don't think we'll ever see the Australian team leave in the middle of summer like this for a long time to come. I don't think they'll ever make that mistake again. No, exactly. And let's hope they don't because, you know, cricket's fighting. You know, it needs, you know, it's just one of a, a raft of sports in there, you know, that's whacking away. And, you know, it can't take anything for granted anymore, you know. So I hope you're right, man. And last sort of big thing with the international summer for next year is they're they're kicking off at the Gabba again against Pakistan Mm. and then they're starting a three test series against New Zealand with a the first ever day night test in Perth which will mean you know the test cricket won't finish on the eastern state till about midnight on telly yeah it's an interesting one it'll soak up that entire night period and, and they do believe that over in that early Christmas thing people stay up a bit later for me, I love the time slot of the old Perth test. Uh, and I think it'll probably finish a smidgen earlier than, than the other day-night tests. But uh, I, I love the traditional Perth time slot, which, may I say, rated its pants off too. Um, and and the, the Perth test last season against India was just a blockbuster ratings-wise. So, yeah, I, I don't think it needed to be a, a day-night test, but there you go. Do you think they're doing that just to get a few more fans in, in Perth? Yes, yeah, exactly, and uh, it certainly makes it more appealing to the locals. In a fairly substantial 50,000-seat stadium, you know, at that time of the year, it'll be a bit cooler at night, and, and that will help it. There'll be more people there. But you do pay a price with the, with the, uh, the television going so late. And what it does do, you still get your peak hours of nighttime television. That, that, that's, you know, from 7 o'clock to 9.30, you're still covered, but what they're saying is after your, your hours after that may draw more than your art than your hours earlier than that. And I sort of get that as well. Yeah, people uh, home from work glued to the cricket all night. Last one, Crash. I was doing some research for an upcoming guest, hopefully, Manus Lobashane, and I saw that he hasn't even played in Australia 20 domestic 50-over games. And he's been playing for a few years now. So I think the fact that they're changing the domestic one-day comp to be spread out over the beginning of the season is going to be a great thing for our players who just aren't getting enough experience in 50-over cricket. Yeah, I worry about 50-over cricket. I mean, just the the demise of this 50-over series uh, and with New Zealand being posted to the boondocks and playing it in March. I mean, 
I think after this World Cup, it worries me that the 50-over cricket, I, I, it's, it, it, it will never die, Menace, but it's just in sort of graceful decline. And it's sort of become sandwiched, hasn't it? Like, it's become, uh, the, the Big Bash is so glamorous. Test cricket, as we know, is, is wonderful. But that 50-over domestic cricket competition, they've never quite known what to do with it. It almost folded a, a few years ago. So l- let's hope it, it gets its own rightful place. And as you said, it's scattered throughout the start of the summer. Probably not a bad idea. Yes, and hopefully the one-day international sort of league that they're starting will give some context to these bilateral ODI series. Yes, yeah, it, it, it will. And, and with the new Future Tours plan, you know, there's a more sort of a, a pointy top at the end, at the top of the cricket schedule. I think that's terrific. These, these meaningless series that they have around the globe and players being rested, it, it's not a good look. It's, that has contributed to the decline of 50-over cricket. Great crash. Well, thanks so much for your time and coming on the podcast. Uh, are you on TV tonight on the back page? On the back page, yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, it's a lovely experience every Tuesday night on Fox Sports. Uh, we do enjoy it. Uh, Kelly Underwood, Tony Squires and the gang, uh, it's a real highlight of the week, man. But, but this is a highlight for me too, being on your podcast. <laughs> so I'm very proud. Well, thanks, Crash. Thanks for making the time. And I'll be watching the back page tonight. So take care. Pleasure, man. Thank you. Great stuff as always there from Robert Craddock. You can keep up with all his work at thecouriermail.com.au. Coming up after the break, I have Sam Landsberger checking in from the Australian training camp in Brisbane. He has just been talking to the players there, so he's got all the news from the camp. And then I have a special guest, Australian World Cup bowling coach Adam Griffiths. He's also the coach of the Hobart Hurricanes and Tasmania, so he'll be the closer for this podcast. Okay, I just want to remind you, if you have a moment, please go on and rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on, whether it's iTunes or another app. If you can go on and leave a review for me, that would be much appreciated. Okay, coming up after the break, the Cricket Unfiltered World Cup reporter. Two to win. Smith heaves it away. That'll do it. Steve Smith fittingly hits the winning runs and Australia are champions of the world. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Menas. And now joining me from Brisbane is the Cricket Unfiltered World Cup reporter, Sam Landsberger. Sam, how are you finding uh, being the Cricket Unfiltered reporter at the moment? Uh, it's one of the life highlights, to be honest. I uh, I am very, very humbled. And it's great to be uh, dialing in from Brisbane at the World Cup training camp. So where would you rather be? It's, uh, it's a glorious day yet again, and it's, uh, it's a great honour. Yes, and this is the first of many dial-ins from <laughs> various parts of the world. I've just been speaking to Robert Craddock about the international schedule for next summer. And look, we're going to dive into the World Cup, but your beloved MCG has just two international fixtures next year. Seems a bit thin. I, I did see this on the rundown. Now, I, I know you'll, you like to attack our uh, our lovely city, but I'll, it is nice that it is a good time to point out that we do have the 2020 T20 World Cup final of the G as well. So it might be a lean summer coming up, but the one after that I'm sure will make up for it. And uh, it seems like there's going to be a little bit of a small gap for the Australian white ball players to play sort of the last three weeks of the Big Bash? Yeah, it does. Yeah, so look, and given that it's the business end, I think that's the formula that which the, the fans want to see the best players 
are basically available when the tournament is up for, up for grabs. So, I mean, if Steve Smith can come in for example, the Sydney Sixers in that window, that would be a huge boost to the competition. But at the same time, having um, the best white ball cricketers fly to India in the middle of January, it's far from ideal. So you take the good with the bad, but that's certainly a, a disappointing aspect of the uh, of the calendar. Yeah, them flying's pretty bad, but I guess it just shows that they're, they're trying to get that window, which you and I have actually talked about on the podcast before, about, you know, after the Sydney test of trying to get your Aussie players in their big bash teams, which which the competition really needs. I mean, even in the last week, we've seen Colin Ingram is not playing uh, in the big bash next year and Dwayne Bravo might not come back. So we really need the Aussies there. Yeah, we've known about Bravo probably since January that he wasn't going to come back. Um, he's lost a lot of a lot of his velocity um, as a cricketer as well. But, look, I think you're right. I think it's what the, the public wants. And it's funny, speaking to a few of the uh, the World Cup members this morning at a bit of a, a media session, they all highlight the Big Bash as the most enjoyable, fun part of the cricket calendar. So it's what the players want as well. So it makes sense on so many levels to... Uh, yeah, to free up a window, let them roll in and, and give the fans what they want. It would be such a good product with all the test cricketers playing. So, yeah, fingers crossed we're, we're creeping in that direction. I reckon in a couple of years we might have a lot more, which would be great for the great for the. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you speak about Australia going to India. What Australian cricket needs to do is work on our own product, you know, make the Big Bash as strong and as valuable as possible, and then you might not be reliant on games against India for such a lot of percentage of the funding. Yeah, it's a good point as well. The power struggle is, it is quite frustrating at times. I don't think we'll ever hit the level of the IPL. I think that will always be... You know, in its own strategy. But if we can get our, you know, our own players in our own tournament, surely, you know, surely we can do that. That that just seems like it has to happen sooner rather than later. I think the powers of B Cricket Australia are listening to us because it looks like they're going to change the Big Bash finals and perhaps give the first place team or the first and second place team double chances in the finals, which which they have to do. Oh well, this has been five years overdue. I mean. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but what is it? We've played eight seasons. I think seven of the uh, seven minor premiers have, have bounced out in the semi-final. You, you just can't have that. I mean, we saw with Hobart Hurricanes this year, they tailed off towards the end of the tournament, but they were far and away the best team over a 14-match season, and they were, and, and they were out first bite of the cherry. It's just not fair. So, yeah, look, it, it makes sense. 1v2 in a, in a main semi-final, 3v4 in an elimination final, and then the winner plays the loser in the prelim. It just has to happen. It should have happened several years ago. Darren Berry, coach of the Adelaide Strikers, once upon a time has been on it for a long time. It just makes sense. It's only one more game in the calendar, and it's in the name of fairness. So surely we get that next year, and our campaign will be successful. That's right. As always, Cricket Unfiltered making changes at the top. All right, well, let's let's sink our teeth into this World Cup build-up. Uh, you know, you just said you were sort of uh, mixing with the players in a media session. What came out of it? Yeah, I, I spoke to a few players. The most pressing news line was probably out of Mitchell Stark. Uh, he's 100% fit. I think he'll play on Wednesday. If he doesn't play Wednesday, he'll certainly play Friday. So he'll get at least one of the last two practice games against New Zealand in. Great insight about his pectoral injury. Does, still doesn't know when he did it. it. Happened sometime in Canberra when he took 10 wickets, but he bowled the last ball of that test match and felt no pain and woke up the next morning and his chest had swollen out like Thor, he said. So 
had to drive to Sydney for scans with an ice pack on his chest, four months of rehabilitation, bowled off a long run-up for the first time last Friday uh, in the Nets up here in Brisbane. Did that again on Sunday. Looked really, really good, actually. Um, sent one which zipped right into Shaw Marsh's elbow. Had a good uh, bowl at Steve Smith and looked really, really sharp. So great news, given he was obviously so dominant at the 2015 World Cup. We all remember that ball to Brendan McCullum. I think it was the third ball of the, of the final. So great to have Starkey up and about. And the, the move was pretty positive. I, th- I think they're very, very confident. What about uh, Jai Richardson's shoulder? How's he coming along? It's a very good question. I spoke to a few players about this, and the answer was all the same. We don't know. They're guarding that information very, very carefully, which suggests to me that it's not great news. Now, Jai was uh, at the team hotel. He was walking around. He looked okay. You know, he didn't look too depressed or anything like that. But all the players, they've clearly been told, they've either clearly been told don't give anything away or they genuinely don't know. But either way, it doesn't bode that well. They're certainly having a look at Kane Richardson. Josh Hazelwood is also around the group as well. So they're the two players that might come in, but no clear diagnosis on Jai, no clear time frame uh, still, which is surprising because Justin Langer did say last week we would know early this week and, and that still hasn't happened. So my reading the tea leaves is that it might not be great news. Yeah, and I wonder what the Australian selectors will then do. Uh, Hazelwood, who was, you know, must have gone pretty close to making the World Cup squad, might come in. But again, he's not bowling yet, so no, he'd be picking someone with an unknown form ahead of them. Yeah, I, I think Kane Richardson might even have his nose in front. I mean. You know, He obviously played uh, against New Zealand on Monday. Didn't take a wicket, but I spoke to a few people around cricket circles and they just think that we haven't had a specialist death bowler probably since Brett Lee. Cambridge Richardson is really good at the death. We know Stark and Cummins, etc. can do invaluable damage at the very start, but we haven't had someone that could contain the runs at the end. and, And Kane can do that. He picks up cues of the batsman really well. He's got really good variations. So, uh, I think the door is open for him potentially to still play in the World Cup, which is quite ironic given 12 months ago or even six months ago before the big bash season, he'd given up on the World Cup. He had a shocker in England last year. Uh, he got the catch and went for plenty and he, he thought, that's it for me. I'm done. I won't be at the World Cup. But you know, here we are, three days before they fly to Gallipoli en route to London, and he's still in the mix. Yeah, I think someone listened to our podcast where we talked about the the weaknesses for the Australian bowling is at the death. So, yeah. you know, if they were to bring in Kane Richardson, it would, would be a smart move because he showed last summer in the Big Bash he's a very well-qualified death bowler, and we don't have someone to fill that role. So that might work. What about uh, Berendorf looked pretty good in the trial game, I heard? Yeah, really good. It didn't take a weekend in his first spell. I think him and Cummins were both were both given four overs to start the game, but bounced back at the end. Uh, finished with three far. Look, look, really, really tidy. Uh, he's pretty hard to score again, and yeah, cashed in at the end. Great left arm option. I think it's uh, it's so clear cut that any game Stark doesn't play, Baron North will, and you know he's a he's a pretty good understudy in that role. I'm not sure they'll play together, but yeah, I mean to have him probably is your fourth or fifth banana in the in the, in the fast bowling stakes. Jeez, we're, we're really blessed for depth there. So that's certainly one of the strings going in. You know, let's turn our attention to the batters. Uh, in the first warm-up game against New Zealand, there was a bit of a middle-order collapse. Uh, how did our batting look? Yeah, brittle in the middle. 
look, quite funny. The, the tail was tremendous. Nathan Coulton and I went berserk at three sixes, made 34. Zamper and Berenor were there at the end. Uh, it was just that middle order. Marsh, 15. Stoinis, 15. Carey, 2. Quite frustrating. I think that is a red flag going in, particularly if we lose early wickets. And, you know, and, and, and they're in, you know, towards the, in the first half of the innings. I, I think we're in some trouble. So they need to... Uh, look, we're, we're probably reading too much into it. They have won eight games in a row before yesterday. That, that, that's still stands given yesterday was unofficial. But I think every team is susceptible to, to a collapse. But you'd like to think it wouldn't happen against a second string attack like it did yesterday. Mm, so they had uh, Kawaja and Finch opening, Warner at three, Smith at four, Marsh at five. It's a very different order and... Uh, how did the the batsmen look individually? So how did Smith and Warner go in their first foray back into the Aussie side? Yeah, we'll start with Warner. I actually found it quite amusing. I mean, he spent the last, what, three weeks walking out the bat in front of 40,000 screaming Indians and middling everything from ball one. And then he walked out at the Allen Border Field on Monday in front of 1,000 people and looked incredibly nervous. Now, clearly that's because he was, you know, back in Australian colours for the first time in 13 months. But I think he looked nervous. His first ball dropped just short of gully. Um, the second ball was a half chance back to the bowler. First over, first ball of the next over, he was dropped at points. So it took him 18 minutes to get off the mark. I think 14 deliveries. You just don't associate that with David Warner. But he survived that little scary spell. And then he went berserk. He, he pulled Doug Bracewell for a big six. I think anything bowled short at him, he basically puts it to the rope. Another six boundaries in the in the innings. When he went out, like, you, you really couldn't see it coming. I think we all thought he was going to score yet another half century, maybe even go on for it and, and win the game for Australia. He went out, but he looked really good for probably three or four overs before that. So once he got over that, maybe those initial nerves, I think he looked really good. Smith wasn't quite as convincing, but you know you, you sort of expect that as as well. His form wasn't quite as strong in the Indian Premier League. Um, it was a little, little bit more workman-like, um, lots of singles, um, a few twos as well. So, yeah, he was a little bit more scratchy. But, again, there's, there's still 25 days to go until Afghanistan on June 1. So, and, and I think the Australians might walk a little bit too lot with them in the lineup. So, uh, overall, you, you'd still have to give them a tick for their first game back. How did the controversial Sean Marsh look at the crease? Yeah, got off the uh, mark with a beautiful cut shot. Uh, before and then didn't do a whole lot more after that. You know, scraped his way to 15 and went out. Look, listen, he's probably in a race with Kawaja for, for one batting spot. I don't think they'll play Finch, Warner, Miss Kawaja and Marsh. I think one will miss out and that's probably Kawaja or Marsh. So I think there's a little bit at stake uh, in the next four games, two against New Zealand, one, one against England and one against Sri Lanka. I think I'll use those four games to, to, to work out the best chemistry and probably 0-0 after they are at their first audition uh, on Monday. Carey's a bit of a worry at seven. He's batting quite high in the order. How did he get out? Yeah, caught behind. Yeah, pretty regulation edge. Only the two runs, I think he faced 13 balls. Concern, but it's, I mean, it's almost not worth talking about because he clearly has to play every game. No doubt, it is a, it is a worry, and you, you just look at other countries like you know Estonia is going to win a game or two for India. It's such an important role, and so many so many other countries have really really powerful batsmen who can take a game away from you. We don't seem to have that, but we've got to back him in because he's the only one in the squad. That's right. The selectors have backed him in. All right, so Sammy, before I let you go, just a couple of questions. Uh, 
tell me, now that you're in camp with the Aussies preparing for this World Cup, what's the vibe like coming from Finch and Langer? You know, the pressure's obviously going to ramp up over the next few weeks. How do you think they're coping? Oh, look, I think it's, I think there's no, no dramas at the moment. Um, very cool, calm and legend. They've both been very serious. I saw them this morning uh, at the breakfast buffet together and, you know, they were, they were talking to the shop the whole time. You know, there's no... No giggling or, or joking around. I think they had a meeting pretty soon afterwards. But, you know, it is business faces on, even though we are still a fair way out from the start of the tournament. But clearly, the question's going to come when they're over in England, uh, when the England journalists get into them about Smith and Warner, when all the fans and the bar and the army are carrying on. That's going to be the litmus test. You know, what we see now is all well and good. But it, it could change so quickly over there. I think it's best just to reserve judgment and see how how they cope in the head of the battle because no doubt it's going to get pretty fiery. Yeah, and how are they treating you? Uh, with open arms. Well, they've been they've been lovely so far to deal with and they, they usually are cricket Australia. So, yeah, it's been a, a nice reception and hopefully we can um, maintain that relationship and get some really good stories in the papers uh, across Australia and, and hopefully see a few wins. Great. Well, Sam, uh, you're doing great stuff with the Cricket Unfiltered World Cup reporter. Get back into it. Enjoy the build-up and we'll catch up soon. Pleasure. I look forward to chatting next time. Thanks so much. That was Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun in Melbourne, and he will be heading off to the UK for the World Cup to give you all the news from over in the UK. Okay, coming up after the break, I have the Australian World Cup bowling coach, Adam Griffiths. But I just want to let you all know that the show and I'm on social media, so you can find the podcast at Oz Cricket Pod, that's AUS Cricket Pod, and that's on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at A Meners, A M E N E R S, and uh, News Corp Cricket have their own Twitter page now, which is at News Corp Cricket, that is a funnel for all the cricket news coming out of News Corp. Coming up after the break, Adam Griffiths. <laughs> Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Menas, and joining me on the line now, we have a special guest, the Australian World Cup bowling coach, Adam Griffiths. Adam, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So what's the, the mood like around the Aussie team? It must be exciting to begin this World Cup campaign. It is. It's very exciting. Uh, you know, three or four days ago, when we all got together in camp here at the hotel and at our first lot of meetings and just to get everyone together. And, um, yeah, there's a real sense of anticipation within the group at the moment. It's um, it's interesting because you've got guys coming from IPL, you've got guys coming from a bit of time off, you've got guys who are you know, coming back from injury from all over the place. So it's, um, it was great to get everyone back together to reconnect and, um, you know, get stuck into some practice games this week. And, and I guess sort of the bowlers are at all at different stages of their build-up to the World Cup. Is that something where you really sink your teeth into now and knuckle down that preparation? Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously, as I said, there's some guys coming back from injury. There's also some guys that have been playing and guys that have had a bit of a break, a well-earned break. So it's about making sure that, you know, everyone starts to peak at the right time when we get to England. So, you know, we're lucky enough. We've got these three games here against New Zealand and we've got some warm-up games when we get over there. So um, for me, it's just, it's just spending a bit of time with them, sort of working out where they're at, 
Um, and I've worked with, my, uh, with pretty much all of them in the past, so it's just reconnecting and building those relationships again and making sure I know what they need to, to perform as best they can in the UK. You know, you must have been pretty thrilled to get the call-up to be the World Cup bowling coach. I think David Saker left his position at the end of the summer, and you're also the Tasmanian and Hurricanes coach, so you could be in Hobart absolutely freezing at the moment, but uh, <laughs> instead you're about to head off to an English summer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, we had just that Easter down home, which was actually quite pleasant in Hobart, but it's a uh, it's just starting to get a bit chilly down there, but now, you know, now we're in Brisbane with some beautiful weather and about to head back to an English summer. So uh, really exciting. It's a real privilege to, to get the opportunity to do this, um, you know, for the next few months. Absolutely. And uh, so you've worked with Justin Langer before at Western Australia. What's he like to work with and what's your relationship like? Uh, yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to, to have four and a half years in jail, uh, an assistant coach in, in WA. And it's, it's a really, really, we've got a really close relationship relationship now um you know it's like any professional relationship it takes you a little bit of time to get to know each other i'd never really spent any time with him before that but um you know when you coach a state in a state system you spend a lot of time together and, and we're able to build that relationship and and work off each other and make sure that we um really really help sort of help each other out and making sure that we complement each other as best we possibly can yeah and i guess what's the sort of instructions that he gives you what does he want to see the bowling coach do in this world cup Oh, that's probably one of JL's strengths is his ability to, to actually step back and, and allow people to do their jobs. And, you know, as I said, we've we spent a lot of time together. So, you know, I think he trusts me to, to be able to, to, you know, develop the bowlers and, and the game plans and, and get them into hopefully peak uh, peak performance for the, for the World Cup. And as long as, you know, we're working hard and making sure that the players that get what they need is probably the main thing. And, and as I said, JL's quite good in that space and allowing our us as staff to, to do our jobs. What's the state of play with some of the Aussie quicks? So we've got Jai Richardson coming back from a, a shoulder injury, Stark's recovering from a pectoral injury. How are they looking? Uh, so Stark has been looking really good. Uh, he, he didn't play on Monday in the practice game yesterday, but he's been bowling really well on the nets. He's, he's back to full tilt now and, and hopefully we'll get him into the game for a little bit tomorrow and then and give him another good hit out on Friday. So really happy with where he's at progressing. Guys, we're waiting to see on that. He's um, still coming back from that shoulder dislocation and uh, I think we'll be able to make a decision by the end of the week, hopefully, on, on how he's going and, and where he sits. And um, how's Stark's pace? Very good. Very good. He's uh, you just ask a few of the batters who are facing him the nets. He's, he's been hitting some gloves and hitting some inside thighs. So it's always a good sign when you've got batters hopping around in the nets. Yeah, and is Josh Hazelwood doing any bowling up there or is he still not bowling? No, he's bowling, yeah. He's, he's been going through a few little technical tweaks with, um, through Andre Adams back in New South Wales and, and he's been up with us for the last week or so. Uh, he's going really well. He's probably progressed back to three-quarter run-up, I suppose, um, three-quarter to 80% pace and, and the plan is to have him, him going flat out by Friday. Wow, so it's all heating up and I guess... Uh... The, the big news would be whether Jai can pull up from that shoulder injury. Uh, wh- what about the conditions in England? You know, are you starting to sort of look at them and what are you expecting the, the team will face? Look, I think it's, um, well, it's the middle of the summer over there and, you know, there's, there's a lot of players and coaches that have had a lot of experience in England and, you know, that time of year is when the wickets tend to be at their driest and at, at their flattest. So I think... You know, depending on the grounds you're playing at, and you know the the conditions that a lot of the venues will change. Uh, they've got their own personalities, and you know we've got, as I said, we've got a lot of experience in the group to understand those different grounds and 
But I think what we'll find is that you know, if the weather's good, the wickets will tend to be pretty flat and you know, and, and probably uh, good for batting for most part. Yeah, it's been predicted that there's going to be some high scores. What's sort of a method of approaching those death overs as a bowler? You know, how how do you sort of deal with it when you've got the likes of you know Joss Butler and those going mad at the end? What does a bowler need to do? Oh, look, I think it's it's really important that you understand the scoring zones for the batter, um, where their strengths are and where they want to hit the ball. And then it's our job as a bowling group to, to pull the ball to get them to hit the, the ball to areas that they don't want to hit it to. Um, but it's also making sure that you're not asking a bowler to do things that, that he's not comfortable with or that he's not proficient in. It's making sure that we match up the roles of the bowlers and what they're good at to the situations in the game. But also the, the most important thing is something we're working hard on is taking wickets through the middle of the innings because if you can knock blokes over through the middle and you've got um, you know tail enders or, or not batters that aren't set at the back end, that's that's one of the big keys to restricting targets. Yeah, and uh, do you do a lot of work with the spinners as well, Zamper and Lyon? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. They've got you know we've got a couple of spin bowling coaches up here at the moment that are working with them, and it's my job just to monitor what they're doing, how they're going, and, and again what what works for them, what are their cues. Um, you know what strengths do they bring to the team, and making sure that you know that I'm giving them the support to, to um, you know, make sure that they're executing that in the game. And is it this about the time when an Aussie bowler will start looking at scouting reports for opposition batsmen, or is that a bit later? No, that's later. One of the big things that that, or that I find. You know, when you're talking to a bowling group, is first and foremost you need to focus on what the bowler does really well, um, and if they're executing what they do really well, often that's well that's why they're picking the team to start with. So often that'll be good enough, and then you know we have our plan Bs and Cs for for the different batters. So when they do start to get going and and start to um, you know look to to clear the front leg and, and whack a few, we like I said, we know exactly where to put the ball to try and restrict that. Yeah, interesting. So you look at their strength and try and sort of bowl somewhere else i guess that makes sense <laughs> yeah that's that's it you have to try and stay away from what they're good at is the main key <laughs> absolutely all right well adam last question before i let you go you know i'm going to get you to put your hurricanes hat on do you think giving the winner of the minor premiership in the big bash a, a double chance in the finals is a good idea oh, look i think it is it's um and I know it's been talked about for a number of years now. I mean, just because we finished first and, and lost the semi, uh, but I think that's happened on a. Well, I know it happened the year before when we were with the shoe was on the other foot as, at the Hurricanes went across to to Perth and we beat the Scorchers over there from fourth position. So we've we've seen both sides of it. Um, but but I think for and also because of the amount of games that we play, I think you know to, as, as many games as we can that, that have meaning and no no better meaning than a final. And if we've got an extra final. Uh, in there, then that can only be good for the competition, you know, giving the extra chance for first and second to, to play the winner of third and fourth would be a good option, I reckon. Absolutely. And it gives the teams an added incentive to finish in that first and second spot. Just sort of adds more meaning even to the league games. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Adam, well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast and good luck in England. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for another edition of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Thanks so much to Robert Craddock, Sam Landsberger and Adam Griffiths for coming on the podcast. You've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, and we'll be back soon with another show. (laughs) 